This is Sean, and you're listening to Promise, a podcast showcasing the heroes of tomorrow. Every episode is an exploration on the idea of promise itself. Whether that's the potential for success or the commitments we make to get there, I speak with exceptional, purpose-driven people on their journeys to change the world. This week, I host Max Carter, co-founder of Gaudi. Gaudi is building a new payments and document sharing platform to help businesses protect themselves against invoice fraud. In this fascinating and rich discussion, among other topics, we talk about the exploitation of societal trust, the many hidden risks businesses face with current payment workflows, how Gaudi is tackling each one, the need to keep pushing innovation in a quote-unquote boring but critical space, and Max's deep-seated mission to advocate for victims of fraud. Please enjoy my discussion with Max Carter. Today on the show, we welcome Max Carter, co-founder of Gaudi. Gaudi is a secure document sharing platform with built-in payment rails to completely combat invoice fraud. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Promise Podcast. So to begin with, Max, I'd like you to share a little bit more about yourself and what it is you're trying to do. I understand that you've got a background in change management, and now you're focusing on payment fraud. So please share with us who you are and what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's not a natural progression that you might think of on paper, but I've spent the last few years professionally in management roles, and most recently I wrapped up a change management role for a private energy company. And as part of that project, we actually had an instance of fraud that was fairly damaging to the institutions. Because of that and in the position that I had, I was then leading the charge to find a solution. And that's what led me into this space of payment fraud, payments, document sharing, the infrastructure that we really rely on for B2B trust. And so that just became a a space of obsession for me because of all its nuance, because of the scale of the problem, it just felt like my next calling, my next challenge. And so that's yeah, what led us to found Gotti. We couldn't really find a solution that was fit for the needs of that business. And myself and my co-founder bootstrapped a, a very janky MVP. And that's where we started that journey, which was maybe 12 months ago now. All right. Interestingly enough, you've mentioned... Um, fraud within the company that you used to work for. Now, I would imagine that most people are relatively familiar with various scams that they receive either by text message or random phone numbers calling them. So I'm wondering if you could share if there are any common misconceptions that the average person might have about fraud. Yeah. I'm glad that you asked me this question because I think the most common misconception is that it wouldn't happen to me. I certainly had that conception and I was surprised when it did happen so close to home. When you see it in the news or you read about it, it's always with twenty twenty hindsight and you look at that incident and go, how how dumb, that just seems like such a simple thing to fall for. How could you not pick that up? But in reality, they're engineered to be that way, to be so simple. 
and it can pop up in any kind of form, whether that's on the phone or on, on email or, or now you've seen the latest run of text messages pretending to be people's kids who've lost their phones. So, yeah, biggest misconception is that it's not going to affect you. Right. And how does that play out in the business sense? You've mentioned that your previous business had a fraudulent incident. What does that look like from within the business? And you also mentioned that the scale is huge. So I'd love for you to share what the scale of that is like nowadays as well. Well, I should have mentioned just before as well that, yeah, in actuality, there are reports now that are suggesting that almost 65% of businesses around the world have faced similar kind of attacks. Not to say that they've fallen for it, but they have been targeted. And within Australia alone, there was a report last year from the ACCC that we lost $227 million to payment redirection scams. And that is almost an 80% increase from the previous year's reports. It's interesting to note also that the ACCC are only suggesting that 13% of all scams are actually reported. And that could be related to embarrassment or shareholder stakeholder engagement concerns insurance concerns they might not have the capacity to cover themselves or they just don't know what's happening and it probably is still happening so in our case yeah the fraud took place on outgoing invoices so our receivables and the documents were intercepted and manipulated by the scammers at the time they were successful in intercepting that email correspondence then they were successful in tampering with the PDF documents because PDFs are not secure. And then they were successful in very easily socially engineering our customers into believing that we had changed banks and that they were clear to pay. Now, we only found out about this when we had outdated receivables and we were going to find money from these customers, at which point we were forwarded the email thread that was completely falsified and out the door goes tens of thousands of dollars plus then the downtime to figure out where it went. So that's another week of people's time. Plus then the recourse of, of pointing blame, you know, who was at fault here, which then creates brand damage, trust erosion, and all that needs to be repaired. So even though the sum of the money that was lost to the fraudsters was $20,000 or so, the whole cost of the incident would have been double or triple that. Yeah, wow. Okay. So on top of just the payment redirection, which I guess also flags some security concerns from within the company, like how did they get access to our emails? How did they manage to spoof everything, pretend that they were us? There's also the insurance implications, the downtime implications, the brand reputation implications. Is there anything else that might affect the company in a negative way as a result of this? I think what has stuck with me the most is more like, mental health concerns of the people that have been affected and if you are the person who sent that money the impact that that has on you personally is incredibly severe and yeah, it doesn't matter the amount that you were responsible for sending the fact that you were tricked into sending it in the first place is incredibly invasive you you, you feel violated and so i think that that's actually a hidden cost that these companies also need to reconcile with. Very interesting that you raised that because it wasn't something that I came up when I was doing my research for this episode, but a fantastic thing to point out as well. 
Okay, so diving into the more personal aspect of the point you've just raised, I would love to talk through your background and how you went from change management to founding Gaudi. So you suffered a payment scam and then decided that there are a lot of nuances to this. Let's dive into it. Let's talk about those nuances. And what did you see when you were exploring how to fix this problem that made you go, I need to find a company? I'll go back a little bit further. I've always always had an ambition to start a business, and that ambition has always been driven by my desire or my need to make more impact faster. And so in businesses that I've worked for, I've always looked for those bigger levers that can be pulled to make a bigger change. And in starting a company, I always thought that that was how you could have absolute control over that level of impact cut out all the bureaucracy from upper management and ownership and just have a clear runway of problem solving and focusing on the challenge ahead. And so that's been what I've sought out in all of my previous roles. And, and I've also been fairly strategic about the roles that I did take to get certain levels of exposure to prepare myself to eventually find a problem and go and tackle the ultimate challenge of solving it and, and starting a business that does that. So I was already aware towards the end of this change management contract that I was on my grand plan. I had another piece that I wanted to tick off, but this problem just kind of slapped me in the face. And yeah, because of the depth of it, there were so many different avenues to explore. There was the payments side of it. There was the B2B document transfer side of it, the people and the behavioral psychology of it all. And then I also find just scamming and theft and criminal activity in general fairly interesting and how people can actually get away with it morally as well. So when that problem presented itself, I took the opportunity to go and just read and learn about the whole environment and I roped in Aaron, who I'd worked with previously building a telecommunications business and we had had some incidences of fraud in that business as well, but that was more hacking and using phone systems to make fraudulent phone calls. So we were kind of aware of the space and we were aware of the cost, but it wasn't until we started uncovering all these reports from around the world that we could tell that this was in the billions of dollars and that us as economies have inherent trust in all these systems that we've had in place for decades now. That trust is now being exploited. So from a really big lens, I was excited by that. This could be an opportunity to really change the way that we connect with one another you know emails are so opaque yet we send bank account details and sensitive materials and personal things across the internet that we have no line of sight on and that fascinated me so in founding Gotti, we thought is there a way that we can rebuild the trust we can create infrastructure to bring businesses closer together to have that line of sight with one another's activity and remove all the obstacles that now these scammers are exploiting. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So you've spotted this opportunity as you were working to remediate an issue that you had in the past, yourself and Aaron as well. You've also mentioned that the scale is enormous, that there is a lot of space to, to grow and also to affect change. But in order to build a successful business, I guess, you also have to validate this with customers. It's all well and good having a potential great idea 
from a business perspective, somebody needs to want to buy into this idea. So how did you go about validating these thoughts with potential customers? Yeah, that's totally right. It's only a thought and then you've got to try and get somebody to buy it. <laughs> I was very fortunate in that the business that I was working for were open to exploring that idea as a solution for them. So we brainstormed the issue a little further and because the immediate need there was to have some sort of way to secure outbound documents. We couldn't encrypt PDFs because the ARP didn't have an Adobe license to do that. But also if you're encrypting PDFs, you're going to be sending passwords as well. We just thought, is there a better way to do it where you don't send a PDF at all? Where we could just host an invoice online and provide all these different types of tracking that you might get. We looked at MailChimp, for example, all the types of tracking on engagement that you have on your emails. But we could use that engagement from a cyber point of view. So could we be able to tell when IP addresses changed, when browser fingerprints are changed, and determine a level of threat, which then would enable us to cancel the invoice hosting link and issue a warning back to us to say this could be a potential hack or fraud attempt. And in doing so, we were saying, could we just digitally courier these documents? We had validation on that idea, and the business that I was working for was happy to go and implement something like that. So we knocked it together, and that was our first point of validation, that yes, we could host invoices online, yes, we could determine if they were getting to the right places, Yes, we could provide analytics on that and bring some of the trust back into our control. And in doing so, you display proactive approaches to securing your own business with your customer base, which I think only improves your standing and reputation. So from there, we explored a little further and uh, we actually found it quite difficult to sell that invoice hosting idea, mostly because people who we were talking to didn't see it as a requirement there. And that was primarily because they hadn't been defrauded. And the biggest noise that we heard was all about payable security. And so listening to that feedback was then how we expanded on that same concept by doing it end-to-end. The hypothesis really there was, could we provide the same transparency from a payables workflow point of view? And could we automate it? No one wants to go through and manually check off the data integrity of every PDF. They probably only want to know when it goes wrong. Can we shorten that time and can we increase the security? And that resonated a lot. So when we were talking with businesses, we spoke with business owners, we spoke with finance managers, with CFOs, we spoke with private equity fund managers and operational staff, we spoke with family officers and venture capitalists, and they all had resounding pain points around that process, not just with invoices either, it was with capital calls or with loan settlements. All these documents were just taking up so much time to manually drag them from email, check them against previous invoices that they'd seen, put them back in an email, send them to the necessary approver, bring it back, load it up into your bank portal. And if you had a threshold, then that same approver would have to jump back in and approve that invoice. We could then map out how much time we could save and then also how much security we could increase by just condensing all those points of contact and vulnerability in the process. From there, we just prototyped and wireframed and sat in Figma a lot and Miro and presented shonky but nicely designed wireframes <laughs> to get feedback. And the feedback was good. And you listen for like these little bits and pieces 
while you're presenting these things as well. You know, some people were saying, oh, that's great. I would use that in my personal life. And so you think, okay, maybe we'll just explore this a little bit further. Maybe there's something else around the corner. But that's when we just decided, okay, uh, we're comfortable enough with this level of validation. Let's start to really build our MVP for that payable side of it. Which led us to here where we are now with Antler really accelerating our trajectory and they're helping us really put bumpers on the bowling lane up. Not going to get distracted by going down the gutter. We're trying to stay as focused as we possibly can on delivering maximum value. Excellent. Fantastic introduction to how you've tested this out on your early customers. And you've also touched on a couple of things related to how Cardi actually works, which I would love to dive into. What I'm very curious, we've mentioned the name Cardi multiple times now, but it's quite an interesting name. How did you come up with that? Is there a meaning behind it at all? Yeah, Gotti, it's a very unique name. And we thought that serves a few purposes, I suppose. You know, it's unique. <laughs> it's easy to trademark. There was no business out there with the name Gotti. But it actually came from the first email that I sent to Aaron after I'd gotten off the phone with him. I said, look, this is the research I've done. And the subject line was Guardian of the Invoice. And he starts emailing me back for weeks mentioning Gotti. And I thought it was like some sort of developer language that I didn't understand <laughs> until I asked him, I was like, what is this that you're talking about? And he points to the subject line and I was like, that's it. That's the name. So we've rolled with that ever since. We have had thoughts of, of maybe pivoting to a name that is a bit more obvious, but I think Gotti, as it becomes larger, would actually be just a nicer, unique friend in any business that you would use to stay secure and work better. Super interesting. Okay, so you've touched on the bits of research that you've done to validate pain points that businesses might have when sending money or sending invoices to other businesses. Now, once you went through and synthesized all of those pain points, eventually out comes the MVP that your customer would use. So how would your customer make use of Gaudi on a day-to-day basis? So it's essentially an end-to-end platform. And I say end-to-end because we mean that literally from the point that you receive a document to the point that you pay for it and then have it siphoned into your accounting platform is where Gaudi lives. Its whole benefit is turning all these fragmented systems into one. And there's a few benefits in that. You have absolute transparency over what happens with that document. So you have audit trails that can just give you evidence of anything that's gone wrong there. You remove then all the adjacent technology that can get hacked, like Zero can have a nefarious actor in there changing the payment details on your ABA files. And then banking portals aren't that secure. So you could have the same actors changing bank account details in those portals as well. And then you would just be spending countless hours trying to figure out at which point you were actually hacked and at which point it went wrong. So for our users, the benefits that they have seen so far in our MVP testing is having that end-to-end has completely reduced the time, at least by 80% of the work, to rapidly validate those documents. And when we say validate, we're also looking at the metadata of that document. So we actually want to see where it was published. And then we're looking at the data integrity of that document. Have we seen it before? Yes or no? So we are referencing back to our database for that. 
And then with all that information, you can provide insights and analytics about rolling spends because sometimes fraud can actually appear in slight increments of the cost of goods. And with all that then verified, we provide a secure payment platform so you don't have to jump into a bank to make an electronic fund transfer. You can just do it with the information that you've already validated from the document, which includes the payment reference and BSB account number, and have that all automatically ingested into a transfer. And so that then also flows on from the fact that you've already validated this data and you've paid it securely. Then you also have almost automatic reconciliation from that point as well. The biggest aha moments for a lot of our early users have been that ability to pay securely inside the environment. So a couple of things that you mentioned there, which I was a little bit surprised to hear, was that you raised, first of all, zero, and secondly, the security of regular banking portal that a business might use. I'd like you to expand a little bit more on that. What are the specific issues that a software like Zero might have and the specific issues that a banking portal might have? We have spoken to a lot of cyber security experts along the way, and I was once having a regular weekly catch-up with one of them who said, this is an interesting one for you, and it was a business that had their MyOB accounting system hacked and had their supplier bank accounts manipulated. And so when generating their ABA file and uploading it into their bank, they were none the wiser, really, that they were about to transfer money to fraudulent accounts. And so we explored that a little bit further to understand that really Zeros and MyOBS QuickBooks are are very passive tools. They're just there for record keeping. And yeah, to expect them to have real-time threat detection and cybersecurity awareness was probably outside of their remit. At their core, they're just accounting tools who help you pay your tax. And then we talk about bank portals, particularly the attack that we saw on Bendigo Bank customers, where users were very, very easily duped with a ad placement for the bendigohank.com.au. And that was almost a like-for-like copy of the Bendigo Bank website. They had emulated the Bendigo Bank login so users could punch in the normal ID, password, and then verification code, which was then immediately replicated on an actual Bendigo Bank portal by scammers who were watching them do this in real time. And so that's where we saw another vulnerability. Right. Okay. You've pulled together the document sharing side of things as well as the payment processing side of things. I'd like to dive into the payment processing side of things a little bit more. Let's talk about the payment rails that you're using. According to the Gotti website, you make use of PayID and Pay2. Now, I know what those are, but my anecdotal everyday experiences, they're surprisingly not that well-known to most people. So I would love for you to expand on what both PayID and Pay2 are and what they do. Yeah, isn't that funny? PayID has been around for a long time, and... It's just still shocking how many of my mates still text me their bank account details to pay them. And even when I say, why don't you use PayID, they don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, for the listeners, PayID and Pay2 are all part of this new payment rail infrastructure that's being built by the new payments platform, which in essence is a, I essentially think it's a not-for-profit that's being funded or supported by the RBA and all the big name banks in Australia. 
as an alternative to the BEX system, which is the antiquated system that we use that relies on us having BSBs and account numbers. So the whole purpose of this infrastructure is to be able to provide confirmation of payee so you know that who you're paying is who you're paying and only have the requirement to use one field of reference. So in my case, I personally have a telephone number as mine, but you could have an email address and you could actually have multiple payout dates as well. It's confusing for a lot of people because banks aren't really supporting or promoting it, at least not as actively as they should. And we just see it as a bit of a no-brainer to be able to provide businesses with PayID functionality to give their customers that confirmation of payee, speed up the time of transaction between accounts, and ultimately speed up that reconciliation point as well. Then on the other hand, we've got Pay2, which is coming out slowly but surely. It's rolling. Pay2, everybody's billing as the game changer, and it's essentially enabling account-to-account transactions. So I guess the best way to put it is that most of us have visas and MasterCards that we have attached to our bank accounts and we use those credit card payment systems to move money around. Well, essentially, Pay2 would be turning almost your bank account into that credit card to be able to move the money out, set up agreements for direct debits, and just have more oversight and control within your banking ecosystem. So it looks really cool and we are starting to play with it more and more and we can see it having a huge role in being able to really speed up and provide a lot of transparency to B2B transactions. Integrating new technology is also just one of the greatest ways to get rid of fraud by staying ahead of the curve. If you keep using those new tech, scammers will have to learn how to use that as well. You just keep iterating, keep moving the tribe, so to speak. And it just gets better and better with every iteration. I will say that the banks do have a big role to play in pushing for pay ID and for some reason they're not playing ball. Who's to say why? But every quarter or so there's an angry letter that comes out of the RBA saying you need to do more and it falls on deaf ears. So that's been interesting to, to watch play out over the last 18 months. Okay, really, really interesting. Fascinating technology that is based here in Australia. There's a couple of questions that I have spinning out of that. First of all is assuming that a customer of Gaudi doesn't already have PayID set up or Pay2 set up, is that part of the platform to help them get established in this new technology as well? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the Gaudi onboarding is also about familiarity with cyber-safe workflows and workflows that insurers want to see now in businesses as well. That's a combination of yeah, signing up, getting in a pay ID, going through a checklist of onboarding suppliers, making sure that you're calling the numbers from multiple reference points rather than one on the invoice. Having now normal everyday callback functionalities as well so that you can be certain about who you're paying for. All of these steps inside a platform that encourages it to make them is all about changing behavior as much as it is providing defensive technology. Right. Makes sense. Now, the other question that I had was around the basis of this being very Australian-centric technology. As you've mentioned directly, there are payment rails that are facilitated by the RBA. Now, if you were to scale Gaudi beyond Australia, and as you mentioned, this issue is a global issue, How would you take this overseas to a country that doesn't have these payment systems set up? 
It's a good question and it's one that we keep a very close eye on in terms of other competitors or similar players. There are some really innovative businesses in America who are trying to iterate and innovate on the payment systems over there. I think a huge majority of businesses in America still pay by check. So I think that they're a little bit behind where we are from a payout perspective. But in scaling our product, we would look to partner with those companies to integrate some security in the payment network or in the payment functionality. Okay, great. That's obviously looking to future expansion plans. I'd love to talk about the future of Gaudi. What are your current next steps? You mentioned that you're currently in the Antler program. How's that working out for you? And what's the plan going forward? Yeah, Antler's been great. We initially applied for this program because we like the idea of rapidly attempting different business models, going through DD very quickly, maybe getting knocked back, rating, And so that was very appealing to us because of the breadth of the space and also for us to be able to nail our execution is incredibly important. Immediate next steps for us are essentially going through that process and we're week three in of what could be a 12-week program, depending on how successful we are in tracking out. At that point, we're now really starting to put together go-to-market strategies. We're really trying to quantify our customer personas, building up a wait list so we can execute and roll out functions that we can test with good feedback. And we're looking for those early adopters, either in our immediate network or just by cold outreach, who are willing to give it a go. And those customers are either ones that have been affected or ones that are looking to automate and protect. So that's forming the basis of our next steps currently. Excellent. Okay. Now, earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned that when you were doing validation for this product idea initially, you spoke with a huge swath of people from businesses to venture funds and more. So I'm wondering if there were any dream organizations that you'd want to partner with to grow Gaudi. Yeah, it's a good question. I think immediately what we're looking for is a partner who can enable us to do our best work, help us be the sounding board for a lot of ideas that we might have, uh, and also champion us within their immediate network. I have had the privilege of being involved with the Startmate community, and I got myself in there doing some of their short courses. And then I've also jumped onto the Blackbirds mentoring program as well, which was hugely beneficial. I think what we're looking for from an investment perspective is that person that I mentioned before. And then from growth perspective, we are always on the lookout for other people in industry providing technology that we could apply to defend our B2B transactions and payments. And so they come in the form of AI and OCR technology, which is really, really great. And any payment technologies that are being released. You know, I had a conversation the other month with the MPP CEO, and there was talk about how you can rapidly grow the implementation of PayRD and Pay2 through partnerships. Well, perhaps some such character might be tuning in. Perhaps. <laughs> now, as you ramp up the growth of Gaudi, Surely it's not just going to be yourself and Aaron running the show. You might want to bring in some extra skills as well. Are there any that you think you might need at Gaudi? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the vision for Gaudi is really to be able to provide a trusting network and to be able to provide that trust. We want to be working with the best in the business, cyber, 
payments, networking. And then, of course, we're also looking at our marketing and our go-to-market strategies and how we can present a brand that is trustworthy, that's reliable, and have a product that's really engaging and really challenges the status quo of what we know to be B2B trading and document sharing. So in a way, we're looking for colourful characters as well to help us change that boring but very, very important step in our economy. And we have started working with a few really great designers who bring a lot of flair and consideration. And yeah, they're the kind of people that we really enjoy working with. Excellent. All right. Looking to the far future, from the beginnings of getting defrauded once upon a time to wherever it is that you'd like to go, what do you think the world looks like when all is said and done and you feel like you've made a success out of Gaudi? Yeah, I would love to see us make a dent in these incredibly scary numbers and see an impact being made to improve the security of our B2B networks. And I think when I look towards the future, for anybody that's trading on Gotti is a reputable brand who's committed to security and safety in the industry. Much like you see businesses that are B certified, who's to say there couldn't be a G certified for Gotti. Let's say we have a hypothetical world where there is a G certification. What do you think you personally need to do to get yourself and to get Gotti to that world? Essentially, the problem space is growing rapidly and there is a great sense of urgency and urgency is a really powerful tool in managing change and encouraging change to happen and in some cases, forcing change to happen. And so for us to get to that point, I think we need to really get in front of this problem space. We need to be advocates for those who've been affected by the problem and then we also then need to be championing safer alternatives to how we're interacting and trading at the moment. But a lot of that is just public awareness campaign. And in doing so, we get the Gotti brand out there and we can start to form some leadership in the space and really drive change with that leadership as well. At least when I lead, you know, is lead by example. And that's what I would want to be taking to this business approach as well. Leading by example is a fantastic way to wrap up the conversation. Thank you so much, Max. The last thing that I'll get you to do is to share any social media info or contact info in case anybody's interested in getting in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. We're pretty active on LinkedIn and we've just started posting little articles of people who've been affected by fraud and tallying a total loss globally. So feel free to find us there. That's our primary form of contact. And if you want to reach out to me personally, max at gottyapp.io. Excellent. I will stick all of those links in the show notes. Thank you once again, Max. That's it for today's episode of Promise. Be sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Do you think you or someone you know would have ideas worth sharing? Send me an email to sean at promise.fm. Otherwise, subscribe and stay tuned to learn from tomorrow's heroes and what we've got is promise.